is Al's golf bag the first iPhone? Hello, welcome to Cover Your Eyes. Today we're talking about the movie Caddyshack from 1980. Hi, Sarah. Hey, Holly. How are you? I'm good. I uh, just watched Caddyshack recently. <laughs> Do <you laughs> Me <talk> too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you go first. Mm. Okay. <laughs> When I saw Caddyshack, I was probably like four the first time I saw it. Mm-hmm. The only thing I got out of it was that somebody was trying to kill a really cute animal. <gasps> I had, so then I was like, I don't like that movie. They try to kill that gopher. He's cute. <laughs> and then, and then uh, I saw it when I was like 10. And I didn't like it. Okay. I was just like, I don't, I don't get this movie. I don't like it. Mm-hmm. It's really loud and like, I don't know. I saw, well, no, I saw it in college and I thought it was pretty funny okay. in college. And I was like, oh, okay. I, I get why I didn't think it was funny when I was a little kid. And then when I saw it this time, I was like, this movie is amazing. <laughs> so, so it's taken me wow. four times, but now I really love it. <laughs> That's awesome. It's like a fine wine. It's getting better with time. Um, I was probably like the same age when I saw it for the first time. And I had the same feelings. I just remember the gopher. And like, I don't know what I was paying attention to the rest of the time. But the gopher is like, all I remember. And he was so cute. And I felt so bad for him. And yeah, I did not like Bill Murray. I was like, this creepy dude trying to kill this adorable gopher. I I feel like, um, yeah, Bill Murray is just like super creepy in this movie all around. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And Bill Murray is creepy in a lot of movies, actually, from that time where he's like really sexually inappropriate with a lot of different people in a way that could get you like put in jail now and that was just kind of like his character through the 80s um at least the early 80s i then i didn't really remember watching it again until college i remember i watched it with like my college boyfriend so i was probably like just turning 18 and (laughs) the thing i remember most about it from then so the first time i remember the gopher i remember ronnie dangerfield and i remember the kid puking through the sunroof like those are my childhood (laughs) memories of the movie Mm-hmm. And then in college, I was like very jealous and insecure in college, <laughs> like insanely jealous. And so I remember <laughs> we were watching it. And then when like the hot blonde girl who's like oh. the niece of yes. the judge, she like comes Lacey. on screen for the first time. Lacey Underall or something. Yes, is her name? Lacey Underall. <laughs> is that like a, trying to be like a James Bond kind of name or something? And then when she comes on the screen and she's wearing this like golf shirt, it's like white and she has no bra on her nipples are all sticking out. And I remember my college boyfriend was like, whoa. And I was like, got all mad. (laughs) He just had like a gut reaction of that. He wasn't like, 
And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, he's like an 18 year old boy. Of course, he's going to have that reaction. Like I have that reaction now when I see it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it like, I got like so upset over it. And that's like my main memory of Caddyshack from oh, adulthood is yeah. being like <laughs> immaturely upset over something from a movie. <laughs> I know. Thank God I grew out of that. My boyfriend's checking out a lady from 1980. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> on tv i think that it's it is kind of it can be a little bit harder like if if somebody's like commenting on an attractive person that doesn't look anything like you yeah it can be like well i don't look anything like her mm-hmm. so maybe that's really the kind of girl he wants yeah, you're kind reading my like 18 year old mind right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, I would say, I would say, like a lot of women get pretty upset over that shit because I used to be friends with some people, and there was a couple, and in the in the friend group, and the guy was constantly making comments on she's hot like look at that actress and he would be like well i'm not saying it about people in real life mm-hmm. which he did and i never heard him comment on anybody in real life some couples are totally cool with that and they both do it and they're just yeah. like fine and that's their relationship but if it's one-sided mm-hmm. i i'm not cool with that so i totally get that but she would like get her feelings hurt all the time you know? Yeah, then he should have stopped. Well, they broke up, so it wasn't like okay <laughs> not too long after that. And then she got with this guy that was like, like twice her age, mm-hmm. and they they worked. I don't know. Good. <laughs> yeah. Worked out. So excellent. Okay, that makes me feel better. Mm-hmm. I mean, I continued that way for several years. Like I remember. Um, Dan's sister got him a subscription to Maxim before we were dating because he was like living oh, alone. That's okay. Yeah, before we were dating. Anyway, I feel like it's kind of weird. Anyway, isn't it? I think it's real weird. I think so too. But I also am like, when Maxim was a thing, I was like, if you're a guy and you read that magazine, I am not fucking you. I have very clear rules <laughs> about who gets a piece of me. Mm-hmm. And if you read Maxim, you're out, buddy. Sorry. Yeah. But now I'm thinking maybe I was closed minded because maybe the guy's sister just. Got, got <laughs> now I'm thinking maybe that was a total lie. <laughs> But I actually do think it was true because I don't believe Dan would ever take the steps to subscribe to a magazine. You know what I mean? Like, that's too much effort. (laughs) So I actually do believe him. And it worked out because he's not a creep. Right. (laughs) But it did make me feel like I already was insecure. And then I just Mm -hmm. like super insecure when I would come to his apartment. And then there would be like, probably at that time, it'd be like Carmen Electra in a string bikini on the cover. And it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, okay. Um, this makes me feel so good about myself. <laughs> Can you put one in right. every room? 
put one in the bathroom too. So yeah, but I eventually grew out of that. I'd like to say I matured or maybe mm-hmm. I just gave up and quit caring. I don't know, but it doesn't, I don't feel like that anymore. But also it's not like Dan is saying things either like, yeah. oh, sh- look at that ass or whatever, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I'm sure if he did do things like that, I would <laughs> feel very uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yeah. yeah. So I associate Caddyshack with like, a blast of my insecurities that I Ooh. hopefully grew out of. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Going into this movie, did you feel kind of uncomfortable or anything? Like, cause you have your memories or. I mean, I felt like I, I felt like, so when the scene came on, I was just like, Oh my God, I can't believe I like got so upset about it. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I, when you, she comes on screen and just her nipples are like blasting out at you. It's like, there's kind of like a visceral reaction of like, Whoa, woman mm-hmm. boobs, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, especially as an 18 year old boy, like how could you not respond mm-hmm. to that? So I cut him some slack. But I mean, he turned out to be an asshole anyway. So that was just like a predictor. Yes. Well, you know what's interesting? So Danny the caddy has a girlfriend. They are kind of sort of together, kind of sort of not. Like she fools around with other people too. It's not not exclusive. They're hanging out and Lacey comes to the pool. And they really exaggerate. how everybody responds and I uh, to her they they exaggerate it so that like basically everyone is just like oh like with their (laughs) like like with their mouths hanging open Mm -hmm. like their eyes are real big and I felt like that was making fun of scenes in movies where we're supposed to be told here's the hot chick Mm -hmm. you know now granted Lacey's a hot chick yeah but she's a lot more than that that's just the tip of the iceberg with Lacey. Yeah. You know? And she was wearing, like, a pretty conservative bathing suit. Like, a full one-piece black bathing suit. Yeah. It wasn't even a bikini. No. You know? So, everybody's looking, and Danny's girlfriend is, like, sitting there, like, uh, hello? Like, <laughs> because Danny is just completely checking out Lacey. I had read an article. I think it was in Psychology Today, maybe? It was somewhere fairly reputable. It was basically a, a study where they showed somehow they, they were like observing how long a man could hold his attention without looking at like a hot girl mm-hmm. when they're with their significant other. And that that's actually a predictor and who's going to cheat. So if you, okay, so let's say you're out on a date and I actually think this would hold this. I mean, I haven't seen any research, but I think this would hold true for women too. Like if women like can't help themselves. Sure. Like you've seen, like I've seen people where it's like, it really seems like they can't help themselves, (laughs) but look at the attractive person and get completely lost Mm -hmm. to the fact that they're like with their partner and that their partner's totally seeing it and that it completely hurts their partner's feelings and they've had fights about it and the guy just won't stop Mm -hmm. yeah he's gonna cheat on you okay 
that was the research study finding. Mm-hmm. And it pans out in this movie because Danny ends up sleeping with Lacey. There you go. <laughs> Granted, they weren't exclusive, but still. I just, just I just thought that was something interesting because it was so exaggerated. Like in the 70s and 80s, it was like if you were if there was a couple in a movie and a hot a hot lady walks by, there's the ubiquitous scene of the guy looking and then the woman going, hey. <laughs> Yeah, like turning his head around, like, mm-hmm. hey, look at me. Mm-hmm. Um, it was exaggerated. Like literally everyone stopped and turned. Yeah. And then she climbed up on the high dive and did a perfect dive as yeah. everyone watched. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Lacey. This is a movie I can see myself just kind of having on in the background. Yeah. Because it just kind of, it almost has like a Robert Altman feel in the sense that there's a lot of different characters. They're, they're interacting. You're getting bits and pieces of their lives. A lot of it's about the interaction of all of the people. But there's also these tiny plots going on, you know. And I thought that instead of like saying what was going to happen, it's like so Danny, so Danny needs a scholarship. It's like here's everybody's goals. Danny needs a scholarship. He's the caddy. Uh, Ty, who's played by Chevy Chase, he's just a rich, he's just a rich dude having fun. He's like real into Zen and meditation and stuff. Uh, Al, Rodney Dangerfield, all he wants to do is live his best life, being a bully, Mm. and the judge. All he cares about is getting his boat fixed and making sure that people follow the rules when he deems it appropriate for them to follow the rules. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Mm-hmm. He's fluid in his authoritarian. <laughs> yes. It doesn't apply to his golf game. And of course, Carl wants to get the gopher. Oh, yeah. Ronnie Dangerfield is kind of like a bully, but a lovable, fun bully who also still tips really well. It's just like his character from back to school, kind of. He just yeah. wants to party and share the wealth and hand out tips. And he's like super wealthy, but he doesn't take himself too seriously. Um, yeah. And Danny. So the movie starts out with Danny at his house. And like you can tell from the house that like they don't have a lot of money, but there are so many kids in the house. Are they all supposed to be his brothers and sisters? Not like they all range of them. from like three to Danny, which is like 20 or something. I don't know. One of them's I mean- a nephew, but. I, as soon as the as soon as they got to that scene, I w- and I saw the mom. I was like, "Ouch!" Yeah, because mom's ouch. like in her fifties, I'd say. Um, and there's like all these kids. Then his no. girlfriend's Irish. He's Irish Catholic, so I'm like, "Yeah, are they Irish Catholic? They and are like really strict and just literally do have all these kids." Yeah, like holy shit, like twelve kids. Yeah, that was pretty normal. 12 kids in the 80s oh well i mean i I mean they're exaggerating it but like in the up and up into the 50s 60s 70s yeah i I think a lot of people were having a lot of kids still 
yeah roman catholic because i mean like if you if you have sex you're mm-hmm. gonna get pregnant eventually usually yeah and they don't use birth control like if you don't use birth control that it happens you know yeah if you're whether strict. Some, that's why there's overpopulation <laughs> Mm-hmm. So he comes from an Irish Catholic family with a lot of kids and he doesn't have much money. So he mm-hmm. needs a scholarship to go to college. Otherwise, he's going to end up working at the lumber yard. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't want to do that. Our first introduction to Ty, Chevy Chase, is mm-hmm. he's Danny's his caddy for the day. And Ty says, Do you take drugs, Danny? <laughs> Every day, Danny says, Good. <laughs> so then what's the problem <laughs> so i think i get it out of the way right now and say i feel like that sums up the 80s <laughs> <laughs> it's funny <laughs> okay that kind of makes me think because i think a lot of times now i see movies like newer movies and the kids are like smoking weed and i'm like oh my god but they're so young and they're showing them smoking all this weed and now it's legal so it's like way easier to get but um i'm like can't believe they're showing these teenagers smoking this weed it's so bad and then i see like all these other movies that we watch and it's like every one they're all like rolling joints so it's like yeah we've been seeing this our whole lives mm-hmm. um and i guess it's just because when i was watching it then they seemed older than me so it didn't seem so controversial but now i see them as like little babies <laughs> and i'm like i can't believe they're showing this but it's like I was raised on watching teenagers smoke weed right. <laughs> and it didn't like apparently it didn't influence me to do it because I didn't do it as a teen or ever um, <laughs> so it didn't work on me Hollywood but I don't know yeah that was interesting so and it's like obviously it was a very casual attitude towards drugs all through most of these movies that we're watching um, so I guess I just need to relax about what they're showing today but it is so accessible today. And so I just worry. I mainly just worry about my niece. Mm-hmm. That's what I think well, about now when I see anything with teenagers on TV. <laughs> I think that um, kids doing weed is way better than kids drinking alcohol. Just yeah, you're probably right. I mean, if you're going to if you're going to pick one. I'm yeah. picking the weed. Right. I, I'm still picking the weed today. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't drink alcohol. I, I mean, uh, the deeper question is why Why do people need to always have things to be consuming yeah. to feel normal? But I would say that I mean, that's pretty easy to figure out when you realize you live in a capitalistic society where you're constantly being told that you need shit all the time. So, mm. I guess if I'm going to go for one or the other, I'm going to pick weed. But Mm -hmm. I also think that when I was in high school, I smoked weed and it actually helped me get off of my antidepressant that was Mm -hmm. wrongly prescribed to me because Mm -hmm. I wasn't diagnosed properly. Oh, no. And so when they gave me antidepressants, I went kind of bonkers. Oh, no. Even more. And then they were like, oh, I guess she needs more drugs. Not maybe the diagnosis isn't right. Right. It couldn't be anything they were doing. <laughs> couldn't be fucked up family dynamics. Yeah. <laughs> Holly's brain's just wrong. 
So I smoked a lot of weed mm-hmm. and I actually got myself off of the antidepressants and I didn't tell anybody I went off of them. Oh, I just, I weaned myself down. Hmm. So I didn't have withdrawal. I did it the right way. Then, you know, I was smoking the cannabis. Um, but I also don't think that that's for everybody. And it was illegal. So, <laughs> right. And super weed was way easier to get than alcohol. Oh, really? Yeah, for sure. Uh, all you got to do is ask the soccer players. Are you serious? The golden boys of our school. Oh, my God. You know how many times I got stoned with the soccer players? What the fuck? Are you kidding? <laughs> I would never have <laughs> known that. I bought, I bought, usually buy from one of the soccer players. OMG. Where did you smoke it at school? Oh, no, no, no. I didn't smoke with them at school. Oh, okay. I, it was like after school activity. With the soccer players? With the soccer players. Who? Um, Do you mind editing this out? No. Um, I've got to know. Because they weren't really friends of mine. They were just guys that I smoked weed with sometimes. Because this, wow. un- one of the guy's uncles was a major dealer. Oh. And... One day that I don't know, I was like walking home from school at the, and they were in the park and they were like, Hey, we got a joint. You want to smoke some weed? You look like you smoke weed. And I was like, yeah, I do smoke weed, dude. And I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, aren't these guys jocks? And then, um, we smoked weed and then I had a new weed hookup and got great weed. So, whoa, (laughs) in the park with jocks. I'm so shocked. Never know. Yeah. Like so. a whole other world. That's why they didn't do drug testing at school. Why? Because the jocks. It. Yeah. Because the soccer players, because they all knew they did. Why would they, they do drug they testing at a high school anyway? Like, why would that? Is that even a thing? That was a thing for the sports kids. That oh. was like a, something that people were doing and talk. I was on the school newspaper. So I oh. would. When I'm hearing the official story of why they're not going to do drug testing, Mm -hmm. I was thinking, yeah, it's because the soccer players are all stoners. And our soccer team was really good. (laughs) And they were really good. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like, that's why they're not doing the drug test. The soccer coaches are like, okay, we can't have this Mm because our boys all reek. (laughs) That makes total sense. I have no idea. I was like on the bus with the soccer team going to games and I had like <laughs> no idea. All of them. Where do I live? You Where know? is my mind? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I have to say, and I felt like weird about this, but I felt like um, Chevy Chase was like attractive in this movie. Okay. So I think Chevy Chase is hot. I feel like especially with his hat on. In his golf attire, he looked pretty attractive. Yeah. And I was like, okay. Well, I remember I thinking it was cute and being like, because he, and also he's just so goofy mm-hmm. on camera. But he's considered, he usually, he considered himself a writer. Oh. And not an actor initially. Hmm. And Lorne Michaels kind of like scooped him up on the show and was like, you're the star. 
Oh, wow. And it caused a lot of grief in, amongst the Saturday Night Live cast. Uh, Chevy Chase and Bill Murray, actually, when Chevy... So Chevy Chase quit Saturday Night Live and started doing movies. Mm-hmm. And then he came back in, like, 78 to do a guest spot on the show. And him and Bill Murray got into a fistfight. Oh, my God. Yeah. So then whenever they were doing this movie... Yeah. The scene where they are smoking a giant joint and (laughs) drinking like moonshine in the stall. Like I was just like, this is so interesting because it's like they reconciled Mm -hmm. for that scene to make something funny. So that was pretty cool. But also that scene, every time Ty gets finished with like he takes a hit of the joint and he's coughing and then Carl hands and then Carl like sticks the jug of booze in his face and he takes a shot and then he's like coughing because it's so strong and then Mm -hmm. so he just like keeps doing it over and over again and they're just getting hammered and I was like I have definitely done that oh really (laughs) like I mean not a lot of times but there have been a few times where I was like three in the morning and I was with like it was like the party was pretty much over but there were like one or two people and we were just like you know what if we get fucked up enough we could just make it till daylight mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's what we did and I was like oh that was kind of brought back some <laughs> fond memories <laughs> even nice. though I don't I don't drink now but I thought that was pretty sweet that scene was pretty sweet um I really liked when the boss who is actually Bill Murray's brother. Yes. Uh, he also, Brian Brian Doyle Murray, he also helped write the movie, mm. helped write Caddyshack. And a lot of it is based on his, his and Bill Murray's experience as teenagers working at the Indian Hill Country Club. And oh, nice. I think in... Illinois? Yeah. Yeah, Illinois. Uh, Like outside of Chicago? Yeah. So the boss comes over to Carl and he's like, you got to get rid of this golfer problem. You got to kill the golfers. And Carl goes, you got to kill the golfers? Then where are we going to get all of the business? You know, he's like, what? And then he's like, no, gophers. And, you know, so, but I thought it was funny that he was like, oh, we have to, we have to kill all the golfers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know how many trees you could plant on a golf course? Just saying. Um, <laughs> yeah, a lot. <laughs> um, so originally, uh, Bill Murray was barely supposed to be in this movie. Even though like his brother wrote scene. it, mm-hmm. helped write it. Well, a lot of it's improv. They just gave like the actors, but Bill Murray, all of it is improv. Mm-hmm. I can see that. <laughs> <laughs> They'd like put him in the room with the props and mm-hmm. be like, "Okay, go, go wild." It's pretty great. When uh, I also liked when. The judge, who is the amazing Ted Knight. Oh, my God. Mary Tyler Marshall. love Ted Knight. Did you always love him? I love him so much. Oh, my God. <laughs> and remember that show, Too Close for Comfort? Yeah. With the daughters and Monroe. 
Monroe. Jim J. Bullock. Oh my yes. gosh. I want to find that. I wonder if we can watch that somewhere. So good. Oh my god. Yeah, I watch that show all the time. I know. And Mary Tyler Moore show. If Todd Knight was in it, I'm yeah. there for it. So good. <laughs> you know what I found though that was like disturbing me this time? Mm-hmm. Um I felt like his character was reminding me of Donald Trump. Yeah, I mean, I get he was supposed to be like an asshole. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. But then I was like, oh my god, this is mm-hmm. just, did Donald Trump like model himself after this man right. from Caddyshack? Even like the way he moved his mouth when he was talking and stuff, and he did the yeah. like weird like butt lips thing. I was like, oh my god, this is alarming. Maybe, maybe we know the secret truth about the trumper he has always just been horribly sad that he doesn't look like Todd Knight mm-hmm. and all of his evil deeds stem from the fact that he's really insecure because he doesn't look like Todd Knight yeah I saw similarities there but I still I still enjoyed it and I still <laughs> love Ted Knight I won't hold it against him <laughs> right he came first <laughs> yeah that's his fault <laughs> <laughs> So the judge is like, Ted Knight is talking to a priest in the locker room. Mm -hmm. And he's like, he starts, he starts a joke. Yes. He says, a Jew, a Catholic, and a colored boy. That's one of those jokes. Mm -hmm. So there's a, so there's a black man that they cut to. And then he says, like he's like colored boy you son of a bitch and then he takes he takes Ted Knight's shoe and he just like rams it into this like, a shoe polisher machine mm-hmm. sparks go flying <laughs> totally insulting that whole genre of comedy that's just based on making fun of things about people that they that are arbitrary Mm-hmm. like the polish jokes exactly you know that that whole genre of humor that was so popular when these guys who made this movie were growing up and they're just right. like mercilessly mocking it you know mm-hmm. um so i really liked that it was kind of just like a fuck you to like racist parents mm-hmm. you know it's funny because when he starts telling it like he puts his arm around the guy, so you can't tell at first that the guy is actually like a priest or a bishop. So then when he turns around, it's like even worse that he's going along with it. Mm-hmm. These guys making this movie were pointing out like the racism and comedy that their parents thought. This looks funny. Part of our discussion here is like looking at what's like blatantly racist or sexist or all these other things you know that's a little bit of it mm-hmm. of what we do when we watch these movies and i just think it's funny because how are we being racist or sexist or whatever that we won't even know you know what i mean yeah like what are what are we missing mm-hmm. well i mean so you're right. That is neat. So, like in that movie, they're doing the same thing, pointing out, and then now we're looking at that movie and still going to find even more, like that they didn't point out. 
mm-hmm. like that there are no black golfers the only black people are the people that work there well but see there wouldn't be any black golfers but that's true so they're there being, like, realistic yeah there weren't any jewish guys there either right and the danny even though he was like talking to the bishop at one point and the bishop was like oh you should come to this um group that we have at our church blah 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 and he's catholic he's like a priest or a bishop mm-hmm. but then he says, are you Irish Catholic? And Danny says, yeah. And he's like, oh, well, and you can't come. Mm-hmm. So you're Irish. in that, yeah. yeah, it's like, God. But they're, yeah, so like they're pointing it out. It's like, that's, yeah, that was still existing. And I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sure it still does exist, but it was like, you could be more open with it then and not even like, you didn't even try to hide it then. No, not mm-hmm. at all. It was just like, meh. <laughs> so that makes me think of the part of when- <laughs> Ronnie Dangerfield first comes and he comes like busting into the club shop where he's going to like go buy golf gear and stuff. So he has like a one of his new investors, a Japanese investor, I guess, is coming to show him the town Mm -hmm. because he's investing in his construction company. And he walks in with him and he was like, I don't remember the guy's name, but he was like. I think it was Wang. Yeah. Am I wrong? I'm pretty sure. I think think it it was. was, Uh He was like. Mr. Wang, this club is restricted, so don't tell him that you're Jewish. <laughs> what, he said, what he said to the Japanese guy when they were yeah. coming in. And it's just like, yeah, so they're just like pointing out even more like racist stereotypes with that one interaction, too. Yeah, definitely. But then at the same time, he's got it a is. camera. Mm-hmm. It's a Japanese guy and he's got a camera. Why? Why does every Japanese person in a movie in like the 80s always have a camera i don't understand i don't either that's something that you'll have to look into for a future mystery solving episode i guess so yeah that was like a running joke in 80s movies of like the japanese people tourists taking tons of pictures i mean i remember us like being like eight years old or whatever and like making fun of the fact that oh there's another japanese person with a camera in a movie like mm-hmm. even we noticed it as kids yeah <laughs> i don't know what it's from get on the case and figure that out i will <laughs> we're going to find it out <laughs> so can we just talk about the fact that bill murray again is just like a total sexual deviant and like the opening scene is him standing behind bushes doing a motion that like intimates that he's masturbating while he's looking at all these older women golfing in their tiny little golf skirts mm-hmm. and being like oh you you're a wildcat mrs jones Ooh, bend over get that ball and just being like really gross and inappropriate and then it like they pan over and it's him like washing golf balls so he's not actually <laughs> masturbating but that's what they're implying yeah. and he's always just like leering at the women on the course and being super creepy what i like about it is there's no rhyme or reason (laughs) to the women that he's leering at it's just Mm -hmm. if you are a woman yeah it doesn't matter like i didn't see him doing it to any teenagers though no it was always older women it was always older women but it was like if you were between the ages of 30 and 100 (laughs) carl is gonna get turned on (laughs) By the fact that you're standing in front of him golfing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's true. So even, even that was like actually really funny and not like gross. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it was like, because even that I felt like was like making fun of how 
people are like leering in movies and stuff. I I just thought that was very interesting. <laughs> I mean, I guess at least he wasn't like shouting things at them or right. saying anything to them or like peering through the locker room through a hole in the wall like other 80s movies. Right. Or recording it and yeah, later selling it. Exactly. Underneath a cream pie. So at least he's got oh, Revenge that of the Nerds. <laughs> So that's like one of my favorite quotes of the movie is from Bill Murray when he's like doing the whole spiel about how he was the caddy for the Dalai Lama at some point. <laughs> I didn't get the beginning because it's hard to understand him sometimes when he was just telling a story while he's holding like a really pointy rake up against his kid's throat and keeping yeah. him hostage to listen to the story. And he's like, yeah, I was the caddy for the Dalai Lama and it went into like the ball went into like an 18 foot crevice in the ice and blah 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 and he was like and at the end I was like hey Dalai Lama how about a little something for my troubles and the Dalai Lama said you won't be getting any money but at, on your deathbed you'll achieve total consciousness <laughs> and then he's like so I've got that going for me <laughs> I always say that a lot because my friend Chris used to always quote that part I find myself quoting that Oh my god. I've got that going for me. <laughs> you know how Ty Chubby Chase is like really zen and he blindfolds himself and hits <laughs> yeah. golf balls under the hole. Which actually I'm like, is he like a prototype for Cooper, Agent Cooper on Twin Peaks? Mm. Just putting it out there. Good the man. blind like the Zen like blindfolded golfing. Like, that's a Cooper, Agent Cooper move right there. Is it? If I ever saw one, I think so. I'd like to see Agent Cooper in a blindfold. (laughs) 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 At least I would have when I was 14 or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, um, but I like that he's very philosophical and zen they don't make fun of spirituality mm-hmm. they're actually like showing like the one guy who's like cool and collected is like the guy that meditates and you know quotes basho and all that stuff so doug okay so one of the writers doug kenny like he was into all of that stuff, all of the Eastern spirituality stuff. So yeah. his, so Ty is kind of like based on his, on like his aspirations of who he wanted to be, kind of a thing, you know. Yeah. But a month after Caddyshack was released, Doug Kenny was in Hawaii. And he slipped and fell off of a cliff and he died. And he was 33 years old. Oh, my God. Yeah. This movie is such a classic. And when it came out, when it came out, it wasn't really well received. Mm. And so I'm just like, Mr. Doug Kenny, I'm glad you know. Yeah, I'm sure he knows somehow. (laughs) Your your movie's a hit. (laughs) That's tragic. (laughs) Yeah, he made this movie in Animal House and did the like National Lampoon magazine. And he was really prolific. Yeah, really. For his young age, started right out of college, you know. Whenever the judge 
um, cheats to golf. Yeah, he kicks the ball all the time a little bit closer to the hole. (laughs) No one's looking. He gets he gets hit in the in the balls with the Mm -hmm. golf ball, and um, that was actually based on uh, something that Harold Harold Ramis, another one of the writers. He said he had only played golf twice in his life, and that one time he actually hit a guy in the balls with the golf ball when he hit it. So they put that in the movie. (laughs) So anybody who is watching that and being like, oh, sure. What are the odds? I guess it's like getting a hole in one. (laughs) The odds are probably similar. (laughs) The judge is clearly a stand in for like, wasp america like yeah the greatest called the flying wasp yeah (laughs) (laughs) like the greatest generation things are supposed to be this certain way except that i'm not actually going to do any of the things the way that i say that it's supposed to be but i'm going to hold you to those rules (laughs) meanwhile i'm going to cheat it's weird Mm -hmm. that he reminded you of donald trump i don't understand (laughs) That is weird. Can we take a moment to talk about Al's golf bag? Yes. I think that Al's golf bag has predicted the future. (laughs) How? Well, there's a... Okay, here's what's in this golf bag. We have golf clubs that help you cheat, booze, a TV, a radio, and I'm not sure what else is in there. There was some other stuff in there, too. I think Al's golf bag is the first iPhone. Oh my God, I think you're right. So this is why I think Al is corporate America. When Al is on his giant yacht, mm-hmm. he takes over from the captain of the ship. He goes in the wrong direction against all of the traffic and also in the area of of the lake where all of the people are on like small jet skis boats just like water sports people doing their water sports things and then here comes al in his giant yacht going in the opposite direction he doesn't care who he's mowing down and i thought this is corporate america pushing out all of the small businesses out of like towns Yeah, and one of the people that they show him targeting, like, really dramatically is that um, black guy who's just in, like, a little fishing boat. And it Mm -hmm. just plows right through the middle, and he has to jump out of his boat Mm -hmm. to, like, not be killed. Yeah. I think they did that on purpose. That was intentional. Yeah, you're right. But then they made him, like, someone that's so lovable. So it's hard. (laughs) What is that? See, I didn't really. I mean, I know I love Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah, and he is hilarious in this movie, and he plays an amazing jerk. Yeah, he's an amazing jerk. But I did not find him lovable in this movie at all. It's just because I guess because I just love Rodney Dangerfield, so I gave him like slack, right? Right. I think yeah, that's probably what happened. He's actually mean, but then it's like, I think you're supposed to like him at first and view him as like anti-establishment because he comes into the golf 
you know, country club and doesn't follow the rules and shakes things up. And mm-hmm. he's kind of like the shit disturber. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like mixed. And this is how we get to where we are currently in our culture, which is that you got a bunch of people thinking that. Oh, my God. If you are just anti-establishment. Then that means that that gives you some kind of like credibility or coolness factor. Yeah. That is actually not true. Because you're just rebelling to rebel, but that's like baked in now. And so you see a lot of these like uh, uh, that. This was really particularly strong with Gen Xers. I feel like I, I feel like younger generations are less cynical mm-hmm. um, in their humor. Maybe mm-hmm. I think it's probably why The Office is so popular with kids today. Because it's a really sweet comedy show. It's like got heart. That's and nice. This, and this movie, though, is just mercilessly scaring everybody, which is what the National Lampoon was all about. They were about scaring everybody. But see, the thing is, there is a time and place for that. But past a certain point, everybody's already rebelled. All of the people who thought they were rebels are fucking running the village now. Okay? Mm-hmm. So... They have become the thing that they were rebelling against, you know, but they still think they're anti-establishment, which is how you get into this MAGA Trump shit with these people thinking that they're like rebels or something because there's this like rebel glamour. Does any of this make sense? Yeah. Like once you started saying that, I was thinking that's. That also is reminding me of Donald Trump because he makes himself appear like I'm a man of the people, just like Ronnie Dangerfield is doing in this movie where he's like, hey, I'm not like these other people mm-hmm. at this country club, even though I am really rich and I'm doing all the same things, but I'm doing things a little differently and I'm more like the working class party people here. And so he like you tr- like you, you start aligning with him mm-hmm. in that way. Just like how Donald Trump aligned with the working class and Mm -hmm. the lower income people. Mm -hmm. But really, once uh, Ronnie Dangerfield leaves the golf course, he's going to build another mall and knock down another thing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where probably poorer people are living Mm -hmm. and build a big condo. Or there's nature. Yeah. So, and then as soon as Donald Trump leaves his rally with all of the coal miners, he's flying off in his private jet to be with his real friends and people he really mm-hmm. identifies with at Mar-a-Lago mm-hmm. while he's just falsely identified with these other people. It's, there are so many parallels. This is weird. Mm-hmm. So it was funny that you said that about the judge at the beginning, because I was like, oh, that's funny because I actually was like, had Al pegged like this is Donald fucking Trump right here. (laughs) But I guess what, I guess what I'm seeing from this is that it doesn't matter what your packaging is all when your pursuit in life is to make yourself the winner at all costs that that's actually, it doesn't matter who, who you are, who you say you are, how you dress, who you associate with. If your goal yeah. is to be the winner, 
it doesn't matter if you cheat. None of that stuff matters. The only thing that matters is that you win. Then it doesn't matter if you're an owl or if you're a judge. You're the same. Like the judge and owl are basically kind of like cut from the same cloth, you know? Yeah, you're right. Because Al cheats later, too, when he does a bad, he's not doing well, he's losing. (laughs) So, like, towards the end, when it's all, like, coming to a head and Al, like, hates the judge, the judge hates Al. Mm -hmm. And Al is always challenging the judge, like, to bets, to put him in a tough spot and, like, embarrass him. He's like, I bet you $1,000 you missed this hole and things like that. And the judge is like, we don't gamble here. It's illegal, blah, blah, blah. But then finally, Al challenges the judge so many times. And he's like, okay, I'll take the bet. And he bets like $20,000 per hole. Mm-hmm. And Chevy Chase is there because he had tried to like calm them down and stop a fight between them. And then they're like, let's make it pairs. And the judge wants Chevy Chase to be on his team. And Chevy's like, I don't, or Ty is like, I don't gamble you know i just like to play for fun and whatever but they all know he's the best so they want him on their team Mm -hmm. and then but once um the judge takes him aside and is like hey i know your dad and we built Mm -hmm. this club and we need to keep people like this out then ty is like okay you're terrible i Mm -hmm. hate you so he agrees to go against him and golf with ronnie dangerfield Mm -hmm. And it's twenty thousand dollars, and then it gets doubled to like forty thousand, so twenty per person as the stakes. And then they're losing, so Ronnie Dangerfield's upset, and then he does a really terrible shot, and the ball bounces back and hits him in the arm. So then he's like, "Hey, I can try to use this as an excuse to get out of this because I'm losing." And then he pretends his arm is broken. He's like, like, "Obviously not." (laughs) And then the quote unquote doctor comes up and is like, "There may be an ulnar fracture." there's no indication for that at all (laughs) then that's like enough to get al out of it and then they bring danny the caddy in because he's good so he's cheating too he's a cheater the judge is a cheater he's cheating he's just cheating in a more funny way yeah and on top Mm -hmm. of that the reason the judge is so pissed is because rodney al ran his giant yacht Hmm. into the judge's boat so they shouldn't even be having a bet he should just be paying for his boat because he destroyed it but he's not taking any responsibility for any of his actions he can just continue to blame it on other people and also play the victim Mm -hmm. when in fact he's (laughs) perpetrating everything the whole time (laughs) yeah so he's like driving Hmm. his boat recklessly he runs it towards the judge's boat he's like hey there's my friend and so that's like his excuse to go see him which really it's not his friend so that's a lie too and he just wants to come mess with him and probably show Mm -hmm. off his giant yacht compared to Mm -hmm. the tiny little sailboat and then he comes within like one centimeter of running his giant yacht into the sailboat so it's like that was close and then he drops anchor and it goes right through the judge's <laughs> sailboat. Yeah. And he's like, you scratch my anchor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's totally like that. Danny, he got the scholarship that he's been wanting because he was uh, playing up to the judge and going along with the judge's cheating and whatever other kind of crap he's doing while he's catting. 
but then he plays with Kai against the judge. So he knows he's going to lose his scholarship now. But he decided that the judge didn't have integrity. And he wanted to be the kind of guy who has integrity. So he plays with Kai, who I think maybe he's just seeing like Kai's got integrity mm-hmm. to him out of everybody there. There's mixed messages because he's still winning for Al. You're a young adult trying to make your way in the world. And you're going to have to deal with one kind of corruption or another kind of corruption. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're going to have to navigate how to play so that you are always selecting the least corrupt way in life. Because there's no actual like ways to proceed that isn't going to involve corruption. Because that's just how it is when you live in a capitalist society. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like that's like the overarching theme of, theme of the movie. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I never thought of it as um, like Ronnie Dangerfield or Al being like the bad corrupt guy. Because I think, I don't know if they meant to or not, but like now we've uncovered that, I feel like. And I do see that. So it is like a deeper level. It's like you're choosing the lesser of two evils. Mm-hmm. You're not even really like choosing the good because they cheated too. <laughs> yeah, you don't have a choice. You mm-hmm. have a choice. It's like, you know, it's like when you try to buy new clothing. <clears throat> if you want to spend under like $100 for any one single item of new clothing, you're probably participating in a really disgusting system of retail of uh of clothing manufacturing that's incredibly toxic blah it on and on it's terrible right everybody mm-hmm. knows fast fashion is terrible that's all fine and dandy if you can afford underwear that costs 90 dollars <laughs> a pair right yeah you're right so sure yeah i mean i buy i mean most of my clothes are used mm-hmm. um to avoid all of that stuff. But I don't work in an office. I don't, you know what I mean? There's all these other yeah. factors. So it's it's the same with people that say, buy local. You just need to eat more produce. Mm-hmm. You know, we could just, we could end the obesity epidemic. If people just ate more produce. Well, that's great and everything. If you live in an upper middle class neighborhood where you have a lot of access to grocery stores and you can afford to buy a zucchini, one zucchini that costs $1.50 or whatever for that one zucchini. Or you could go, now I've eaten like two zucchinis before, little else, and I was full for like an hour. So it's not long enough. Or you could go to a fast food restaurant and get like a burger. For a dollar fifty or two dollars or whatever. Or you can get like 10 packs of ramen noodles for a dollar at the Dollar Tree. Yeah. (laughs) hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you can you can tell people to go eat vegetables all day. You can tell them 
to make ethical decisions at the market and to make ethical decisions when they're buying their underwear. And that is cool. And you should fucking do that if you can. But mm-hmm. like, also, let's not put people who are not in the, the socioeconomic status of disposable income where they can spend an extra $4 on a organic toothpaste or whatever. That just made me think back to Danny of these choices that you have and how much, how much do you really have a choice? It's weird. Expensive. They are expensive. I mean, they're not expensive. I, I want to like not ever use the word expensive. I think it's a scarcity word. Salads are absolutely worth the money. In fact, I think salads are worth their weight in gold. A nice big salad. A nice big salad. But if you don't have the money for it, you don't have the money for it. And some people really don't. And so. No. It's like, okay, if you're at Walmart and you go to the produce section, you can get like a small pre-made salad for like five dollars. Mm-hmm. Or you can walk like two feet over and get a like 25 inch pizza for $5. So what's going to feed your family and feed you for multiple meals, mm-hmm. you know, and those are the choices that you're faced with mm-hmm. for most people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you, then you look at Danny's family with oh all of these God. mouths to feed. Yeah. So you can see how all of his choices are going to be clouded by the fact that his choices are more limited, the people who belong to the country club. And then on top of that, he's seeing what he has at home as his potential future as a good Irish Catholic boy. And then his girlfriend, Maggie, is like, I might be pregnant. (laughs) <laughs> and then she's like but it might not be yours which i loved Bombshell. i love i loved how maggie was just like yeah i'm sleeping around too like hey you know and danny's like no i want to marry you i don't even care like if you're having a kid let's get married i feel like maggie is a real person mm-hmm. with thoughts and feelings and she's not just a prop for danny Mm-hmm. Um, to like work his, you know, plot out from or whatever. And then I feel like Lacey is also a real person. I was scared that the women in this movie were going to be portrayed in a really gross way. And I'm not, I'm not sure why I thought that. Cause it's from 1980. Uh, oh Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why. Oh, yeah, it's a comedy from 1980. That's why I yeah. thought that. Um, yeah, and so the fact that the two main women in the in the movie were both, like, themselves and women that I was like, I can totally relate to both of these women. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty rare. Lacey was never slut-shamed. Which Except by Maggie. True. But she was, like threatened by her and then lashed out at the woman Mm -hmm. which is what happens a lot in movies Mm -hmm. and happens a lot in real life i mean Mm -hmm. let's just be honest yeah unfortunately that's kind of how women often react Mm -hmm. against the woman not the man that's i just got glared at the other day by some woman who was glaring at me and i was like 
I feel like somebody's, you know, that I feel like somebody's looking (laughs) and I looked over and she was glaring at me. Mm -hmm. And then I looked over and the guy was looking at me Mm -hmm. and I'm like, oh, great. Now I'm the asshole because I walked (laughs) into a fucking shop to get a, a, get a cup of coffee. Like Mm -hmm. it's like get a new boyfriend, but again, choices. Mm-hmm. We can say you have a choice, but what are your choice? You know, what's put in front of you as those choices? Right. Yeah. Lacey, she was cool. She was in control. She just had like a cool air about her and she wasn't like portrayed as being, like you said, slut shamed or anything. Mm-hmm. She was just like living her life and enjoying it. And her hobbies included skinny skiing and going to bullfights on acid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How can you argue with that? I know. <laughs> I think she's a good role model. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I was just like, because we were just talking about money and like how much things cost and how Danny was poor. And so I did like some math on the inflation calculator earlier because there was like a whole scene about how the guy wanted a Coke and then they'd raise the price of the Cokes at the Caddyshack to 50 cents. Yeah. And he's like, I'm not paying 50 cents for a Coke. And so that equals a dollar sixty six for a bottle of Coke, which is about what it is now, right? Even more, depending on where you get it. I have no idea. I haven't had a Coke in so long. Oh my god! So, but if you get a Coke, like obviously at the Dollar Tree, it's a dollar. But if you were to go to like a gas station, they're usually like two for three or something. Mm. So it's about that. And if you get it by itself, it's like two dollars for like a you know twelve ounce or whatever the like Mm -hmm. little single bottles of coke are so that is pretty much similar and then when danny came home like at the beginning of the movie his dad's like how much money did you make today or whatever and he made like 30 Mm dollars so that is equal to 99 dollars and 39 cents well pretty good for cash for a day yeah well he's a caddy yeah i think they make a lot of money Except the judge tipped him like a quarter for one of his. Wow. <laughs> the judge was look, the judge is doing him a favor just by being around him. It's true. He's working <laughs> towards that scholarship. That's right. And then so I did the math on like what their bet was for the golf oh, match yeah. at the end, because ultimately it got up to like eighty thousand dollars mm-hmm. per pair. And that is equal to two hundred sixty five thousand dollars. <laughs> they're betting on a round of golf oh my god i know you can see why they're sweating it you know what was really funny back to danny and maggie Mm -hmm. so you know the scene where okay so danny had just slept with lacy they did they did it between the (laughs) maggie comes into the locker room and danny's like laying on the Mm-hmm. Or is he sleeping on a bench? He's sleeping on a bench in the locker room. And then as he gets up, you see a poster that says, yes! I'm with stupid and the arrows pointing Oh, down to Danny. Mm. Like Danny's stupid. Yeah. And I felt like that was like, don't cheat on your girlfriend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're an idiot. Even though you're about to find out that she cheated on you too. Yeah. And maybe got pregnant from it. So. Yeah. 
<laughs> I thought you were going to say, because there was a poster that was behind them oh. when they were talking, the How to Rate Girls yes. poster. And there okay. was like a really skinny blonde girl and then like an overweight um, like brunette girl. And they're both in bikinis. And then there was like rating things pointing to different parts of their bodies or something. But I couldn't get a good look at it. I tried to take okay. a picture. So I searched for it online. Oh, nice. But I could not find, all I could find is a poster that you can buy on eBay for $100. It's vintage. Now, if anybody wants to buy this poster and send it to us, (laughs) I'll be more than happy. No questions asked. I will Uh accept this poster. (laughs) But before we all get our knickers in a knot, Mm -hmm. they also made one how to rate guys. Yeah, it was behind Danny at one point, right? Yeah, I think I could see part of it. All yeah. right. I wanted to see that. Okay. So they had both. That's good. Yeah. I want to see I these could, things. I couldn't get I couldn't get the picture zoomed mm-hmm. and whoever is selling the poster because they have the one for the guys too. Whoever's Ooh. selling these posters, they don't I think they want to keep it top secret. Yeah, that's a good idea cuz we would just take a screenshot. <laughs> yeah. And we'd be talking about it right now, but we can't because we couldn't see it. So I actually feel like this movie was really pretty great to the women in the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, Maggie goes dancing through a field and she looks all like innocent and misty (laughs) when she got her period. (laughs) I thought that part was like so cheesy and terrible. (laughs) She's like on the golf course at night in this white nightgown and doing like ballet dancing through the field. I felt like they were making fun of a tampon commercial. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And then Danny just happens to be randomly standing on the golf course at night. And it's like, what is going? I feel like that scene was added in later as like an afterthought. I'm like, why? What is this? The Caddyshack was originally just supposed to be about Danny. Mm-hmm. It was like a coming of age story. I can see that. But when they got everybody together, it was so funny that they were like, uh, we're just going to put everybody in here. <laughs> I think that was the right choice for oh, sure. Yeah. If it was just for about sure. like Danny and Maggie, I would be like, mm-hmm. <laughs> would be so boring. I don't know why. I didn't really like Maggie like growing up. I just felt like their relationship. I don't know. I didn't like it mm-hmm. when like when I when I think of the movie and when it gets to the parts with those two, those are like my least favorite parts. Yeah. I'm just not into those two, but it's fine. Like the relationship's fine. I don't know. It wasn't doing it for me. So Mm -hmm. I'm definitely glad they went in a different direction. Mm -hmm. Me too. More entertaining people. (laughs) So when Danny steps in for Al, Ronnie Dangerfield's character after Al pretends his arm is broken and then Danny is partnering with Ty and it basically boils down to one shot, like it always does in every movie. <laughs> and so then, like, yeah, right before Danny's about to go, then Ronnie Dangerfield's like, let's spit 80000 that he makes it. And then the judge is like, okay. He doesn't really want to, but he feels, like, pressured to keep his reputation, right? Mm-hmm. He is. He's always just being bullied and pressured by Ronnie Dangerfield. So this shot is worth $80,000. And then Danny like shoots it and he gets it right to the edge of the hole. So then everybody, the judge is like, yes, you didn't make it. And everyone's disappointed. 
And then at that same time, the culmination is that Bill Murray's been trying to get this gopher the whole movie, the varmints, and he has basically made all these animals out of um what's that stuff called? I can't think of it now. The explosive putty stuff. That's like an explosive clay. Yeah, there's a name for it. I can't think of it. And he's wired up all these like explosive bunnies and explosive squirrels through all the holes. And so he detonates the bomb like right at that moment. And then the explosion causes Danny's ball to go into the hole. So then Danny and Ty win. And And everyone's so happy. And the gopher escapes. Uh He gets away. The most important part. (laughs) I realized that the song I'm All Right by Kenny Loggins, that's like the the gopher. It's about the gopher. Oh, right. It's the gopher's theme. (laughs) Holy cow. That's so great. That's amazing. Oh my God. I love it at the end when the gopher's like (laughs) dancing and doing like little (laughs) hip swirls and stuff. (laughs) That really was the whole movie for me as a kid. (laughs) I wanted more gopher. (laughs) Gopher. (laughs) I know. Yeah, that was so good. And Kenny Loggins was like the king of the 80s soundtracks. Oh, he did totally. everything. Yeah. I remember when I was living in Michigan, I went to, because I also loved Hall & Oates, and Hall & Oates came with Kenny Loggins. Yeah. yeah, and I got some people from work to go with me, and it was mm-hmm. so good. And I was uh-huh. just like, oh, my God, I forgot how many, like, soundtracks Kenny Loggins had. And so <laughs> each time he would do a song, he would play, like, scenes from that movie in the background. Oh, yeah. It was so good. Yeah. I loved it. Did he take you... To the danger zone. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I love Kenny Loggins. He always seemed like so nice. Didn't yeah, he always he just seem like nice. a super pleasant person? Yeah, definitely. Like unassuming, pleasant, mm-hmm. talented. Yeah. yeah. Like he'd, he'd just be some guy that you had book club with or something. Mm-hmm. But he was like a mega star. Yeah. I wonder what he's doing now. I don't know. I'm look him up. <laughs> Um, (laughs) okay if you had one guess about harold ramus's first choice the director harold Mm -hmm. ramus who was in ghostbusters he gets the ghost blow job (laughs) i don't remember that we have to watch that from ghostbusters is the ghost blow job oh my god Okay, we have to watch that. We'll talk about that. I know we really do need to watch Ghostbusters. Ghost blowers. <laughs> <laughs> they had just came out with the wall, and Harold yeah. Ramis asked Pink Floyd to do the soundtrack for Caddyshack, and they turned him down. <laughs> Rightfully so. <laughs> I don't know. I would like it. <laughs> Read the room, Ramis. <laughs> He actually doesn't like Pink Floyd and he was like ranking them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And over the script. This is what I really think of you guys. <laughs> or he just like really loves him and is like a fanboy and he's like, this is my opportunity to like make contact with him. I have an excuse exactly. now, even oh. though I know they're going to say no because yeah. it makes no sense. Yeah. Pink Floyd would not write a theme for the gopher. Like Kenny Absolutely Loggins not. will do that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Kenny Loggins is always going to write a theme for the gopher. <laughs> That's why Kenny, that's what makes Kenny Loggins Kenny Loggins. 
Absolutely. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, so that's all I have about Caddy Shack. I don't know. Okay. I mean, it's not all I have. I've got some yeah. stuff for the after party, but I don't I don't really have it. I don't know. I don't really think I have anything else really to say about it. I'm going to definitely watch it again and like just kind of have it on in the background when I'm like doing crafts or something for sure. Mm -hmm. I'm going to watch it with Dan and see how he reacts to that girl's boobs in the shirt when she first comes on. It's going to be a marriage test. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Okay, so So there's only one more thing I want to say because I just love this line so much. And again, it's Ted Knight. But like, (laughs) when he's talking to Danny, it's after he busted Danny, like sleeping with his niece. And he doesn't want Danny to tell anyone because it would like ruin their reputation that she was fraternizing with the help. And so he's basically saying like, I'm going to give you the scholarship if you don't tell anyone that you slept with my niece. And he's giving a speech about like, honor and duty and all that stuff and he was like as a judge you know i've seen a lot of criminal activity and whatever whatever and he was like i've sentenced boys younger than you to the gas chamber (laughs) i didn't want to do it but i felt i owed it to them (laughs) exactly so hilarious that's like those guys of the the greatest generation telling their sons that they need to go fight in vietnam because well i was in a war when i was your age it's it'll be good for you yeah that's what that made me think of like i know better than you the uh, so on the one hand like i think it's really cool that the judge was only concerned about his niece's reputation in the sense that he didn't want anybody to know she was fucking the help Mm -hmm. but not so far of like we don't want people to think she's a slut but he wasn't really slut shaming there wasn't really any slut shaming at all in this movie the women in this movie had authentic sexual agency that i identified with you know from different angles probably more with Lacey than maggie because i had a period where i was kind of like lacy mm-hmm. um and like i just really well not kind of <laughs> exactly like lacy um, <laughs> but you know i just really thought that was neat mm-hmm. and unusual actually i felt like there was less slut shaming in this movie than like most rom-coms from the early 2000s <laughs> for damn sure yeah, that's all I have to say. I just thought that scene mm-hmm. was so funny. I love it. <laughs> I need to watch more Ted Knight now. I know. It's just so freaking funny. I love him. He's brilliant. He is. I wonder what he looked like as a young person. Was he like super know. hot? I have no idea. He seems like one of those guys that looked like he was 40 when he was 20. Exactly. And then he just never aged. Forever. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to look him up. Like, Danny had to lie for the judge and, like, not tell people that he was cheating at golf all the time because Danny needed the job and he needed the scholarship to be able to, like, improve his life and better himself. And it's like the judge was basically his boss and he was beholden to him. So he was forced 
into that situation of lying and protecting him. So have you ever been in a situation where you had to like lie or cover up for a boss and it was something that made you uncomfortable and you wouldn't normally have done it, but your livelihood kind of depended on it and you felt like you didn't have a choice. Okay. Bye. Bye. See you next Tuesday. Thank you for listening to cover your eyes podcast. We love it when you subscribe rate and review you can also visit our store on redbubble at cover your eyes podcast on patreon we've got an after party every week where we tell all our secrets and answer the movie mysteries that keep you up at night it's twice the melodrama and double the fun find it on patreon.com backslash Cover your eyes. Oh, don't forget, if you have your own memories of this movie, let us know. Email us at coveryoureyespodcast at gmail.com. My heart has been put into a vice. If I don't win, all I can see is my dad not hugging me when I was four.